there are things that I don't feel strongly about, but I should still act in love. Okay? Love is more than an emotion. Yeah. Yes, yeah, we're, we're going to get there. Yeah, there are different levels of love. There are different, yeah, inside of relationships. So love inside of relationships is a different thing. Love for things, materialistically, is a totally other thing. We've, we've yeah, love from God, all that stuff, yes. This is my intro, everybody. Okay, here we go. Yes. Yeah, right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like, so yeah, there's cultural view, which is like, oh, you love somebody if you feel something for them and you have, you know, relationships with them in a way that's not godly, right? So we, we do, we conflate that. There's a lot of definitions of love floating around. There's three in the Bible, three different versions of love that are used. There's brotherly love, godly love, and friendly love, okay? Um, or sorry, not friendly love. Friendly love, godly love, marital love, okay? Like, Eros is what it's called, erotic love. Love that you have for, hopefully, your spouse. <laughs> okay, that's what you want. That's where that love exists. Okay, and then there's agape love. In this chapter, okay, love here is agape. Okay, it's godly love. It's the love that, it's actually not specifically agape. It's the root of agape, but it is God's love. Okay, so all of that to say, let's read John 3.16. Let's, let's start in verse 16. It says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So, this is a really, really interesting verse. And I don't know who's really studied and looked into this verse a whole lot, but it says that God so loved the world. He loved the world. Isn't that interesting? To think about. He loved the world. What in the world, what does that mean? That he loved the world. Because there's another verse in the Bible that tells us specifically to not love the world, right? And so if you read these two things next to each other without context, you'd say God's contradicting himself. Like he's, he doesn't agree on these things. He says to love, that he loves the world and then he's telling us not to love the world. So verse John 2.15, it says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But it just told us that God loved the world. So why shouldn't we love the world? For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And you might say, well, Thomas, that word is different. You know, in the Greek, it's two different words for world. It's not. It's the exact same word. It's the exact same word. Because I thought that. I was like, oh, that's got to be two different words. They don't mean what they actually think they mean. But it is. It's the same word. So it means the same thing. However, the way it's defined is different. So in John 3.16, world is talking about creation, God's creation, what he created. John, 1 John chapter 2 is talking about what man created, okay, the sin of the world. Okay, so he's saying don't love the world's version, like the, the evil version of the world, because that will lead you into darkness, that will lead you into death. And then John 3.16 is saying, God so loved his creation, what he created, that he wanted to provide a way for them to be saved, for his creation to be saved. 
And in doing so, he sent his son to die so that whoever believes in him will not perish, right? There's a man I like to listen to. His name is Vadi, I don't know how to say his last name, Bauchum. I've heard Bauchum, Bauchum, <laughs> Vadi Bauchum. Um, and he says something really interesting about verse 15 in, in 1 John. He says, our whole lives as Christians were taught to love. And there's so many scriptures about love and how we should love and who we should love. But then there's this verse that says, do not love. He then says this statement. He says, it is a command, which means that if we violate it, we are in sin. In other words, love can be sinful. You see how we can't go on what we feel. We have to go on what is true. Okay? So just because you feel like you love something doesn't mean you should, and it doesn't mean that you actually do. You see where the two deceptions are? Our feelings can convince us that we should love something, that we should feel that way towards something, and it can convince us that it's a good thing that we are. But God's saying right here in 1 John chapter 2 that to love the world is sin. To feel love for the world, not God's creation, not man, not our fellow brother and sister. That's, that's another thing. He's saying for the evil desires of the world is sin. And that goes back to being yeah, that's part of that. That is part of that. So, um, sorry, let me, let me finish out my thoughts because <laughs> you're, you're getting ahead of me. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's absolutely it. And I, I really appreciate your commentary though, Austin. It's, it's great. So, loving the wrong things is absolutely sinful. Just because you love something doesn't make it right. Our world loves all kinds of evils, but that doesn't make any of those evils right, right? So, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes, all of those things are the categories of sin in the world. Those are the things we should not love. He says, do not love those things. Now, that's, that leads us back to the question, okay, so God loves the world, right? So he loves the creation, and God doesn't love the culture that his creation has created, <laughs> okay? He doesn't love where sin has taken the world. And that's why he says, be of the world, but, sorry, be a part of the world, but not of the world. Don't be in the world, okay? We have to dwell here. We have to live here, Okay? but we don't have to partake of the culture of the world. And when I say culture, I'm not talking about fun, you know, like things that are, that are godly and good that are a part of our culture that are fun. I'm talking about the evil that is in the world, okay? We have to discern these two differences or else we're gonna become legalistic and weird <laughs> or we're going to completely jump on the train of culture, okay? And it's not a bad thing to be weird, but you gotta be weird in the right ways. <laughs> like, you gotta be weird for the right reasons. You, you don't get to just be weird because you think being weird is biblical, <laughs> okay? We don't get to be separate just because for the sake of being separate. That's called a hipster, okay? You don't wanna be separate. You don't wanna be different than things just for the sake of being different. You wanna be different because you're riding on something that's true, okay? So we aren't gonna be a part of the world because we're different from what the world wants, okay? 
the flesh, all that kind of stuff. But we will be a part of what God wants. And in that, it makes us different. But we aren't different just because we want to be weird. We're different because it's separate from what the world wants. But there are a lot of Christians today that want to be different just because it's different. That want to just do things because it's not what the world does. What they deem as the world, I'll say. We have to be careful of that. Because then you become irrelevant. And you stop connecting with people. Now the Bible's always relevant. Jesus is always relevant. All you need is Jesus to bring up before somebody because all of our problem is the same. It's sin. We all have the root of sin in our lives. And we all need Jesus. That's always relevant. But connecting with people is being vulnerable. It's sharing with them. It's, it's hearing what they're saying and connecting them with them in a way that's real and honest and authentic so that you can solve the problem of evil and sin in all of our lives, right? Okay, so going back. God's love for his creation is so great. And I had a conversation with somebody this past week about God's love because it's such a deep thing, and it's such a, tr- not a tricky, I don't want to say that, but it's so complex, because it's something that's vast, it's infinite. It's, he was before time, he is a God of, of depth, extreme depth, where we can just continue to know him forever. And so when you talk about the love of God, it can just go on and on and on and on, and you can just continue to discover his love. For us, And we will forever, the Bible says. Once we enter into eternity, we will spend forever getting to know the love of God, knowing his character, knowing his grace, his mercy, all of the things that he is. And I had this conversation, though, with somebody because before we become Christians, we experience a part of God's love. A part that was intentional and is intentional, but it's very, it's very small in comparison to what you experience when you become a Christian. When we're not Christians, we don't even know of the love of God around us. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Jake and I talked about this. Like, to be dead to something means you are not aware. Have you ever seen something that's dead? It's not aware of anything. It has no senses of anything going on around it. You're dead. And the only thing that can bring life to it is life itself. Okay? So the Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and then God comes and he makes us alive. And so when we're dead, we're not experiencing necessarily God's love until we see it, and then we walk into a relationship. Isn't that interesting? So like his love is always there. It's a form of God's love. It's always there around us, and it's usually produced through means of grace. What do I mean by that? Meaning that God is pouring out gifts on us throughout our life so that one day it'll all climax into a moment where we look back and we say, there was God all along. And it pushes us into something brand new where we say, wow, I saw God. I see where he was moving in my life. Now that I'm alive, I can see it. But when I was dead, I didn't see it. I took it all for granted. It was impossible for me to see it. But thank God that now I can see his love. So in a way, we don't have access to his love until he makes us alive. He's always pouring it out, but we don't see it. 
And it's by his means of grace that we walk into it. It's like a wall, just all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Like I just hit my head on it. It's impossible for me to not see it. And so Romans 5.8 says it perfectly, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So it's through Jesus, that is the ultimate means of grace that's been poured out on all creation for all the world to have. For us to experience one day to say, I, you know, I've realized I need saving from my shame, my guilt, my sin. I wish there was somebody that could do that for me. And then there's Jesus. <laughs> oh, here I am. There he is. He was there the whole time. Are you kidding me? I heard these sermons. I've, I've walked with these people. I've walked in the doors of the church. I've been surrounded by godly people my whole life. They've been pouring out their love. They've been trying to show me who Jesus is, and I never realized it until now. Tony has an incredible story of that, where you were in church. You, you talk about it in the jail all the time, where he was in church, and then one day it just hits him, and he's like, why have I never... Why didn't anybody tell me this? And he's like, and he always says, maybe they were. They probably were the whole time. It's just it took you getting over yourself, coming to that, that point in your life where you could become alive. And a lot of times it starts with the dying of self. I mean, I, I would say every time. It starts with our own selves being humbled, our pride being broken, and us recognizing that we need saving, and that true love is found at the cross of Jesus, that he died so that we could live. Okay. So what I'm trying to do is explain why the object of our love is so important. Okay? And so the first reason the object of our love is so important, that what we love is so important, Because if we love the wrong things, it can be sinful. If we're in love with the world, it can be sinful. If we're in love with the desires of the world, the things that the world wants, the evil that's in this world. And let me tell you, the evil in this world is so stinking, like Satan, the enemy, is so tricky. He he just takes it and he covers it all up with a big old fat sugar ball around everything. C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, uh, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And the, the book is about this demon who's training his nephew, that is also a demon, to convert this guy over, or keep him, first he's keeping him away from Christianity, then the man comes to Christianity, and now the, the demon has to pull him away from it, get him distracted from it, pull him away. And one of the chapters is about exactly what I just said, covering evil things with humor. Specifically, humor is one of the things he says. If you can, he says, if you can just make it funny, they'll accept it. The funnier it is, the, the more evil it can be. Because everything goes down with a little bit of humor. That's why sarcasm, it's so easy to offend people with sarcasm. Because we think it's funny, but we're saying a truth. But we're saying it in a way so that we can get a dig at somebody without ever having to actually say what we mean. It's important that we speak simply. It's important that we speak plainly. Passive aggressiveness is not 
in the kingdom of God. And so that's what he's saying is if you can cover it up with humor, it's always accepted. People will always take it. Eventually, the more and more they do that, the more and more numb they'll become to it. I mean, you look at the world around us. You know, there's dark humor. I mean, the darker it gets, the funnier it seems to get to people. I don't know how. It just does. And that's a deception of the world. He wants us all to be deceived, and that's one of the best ways to do it. So, we can't love the wrong things, because it can be sinful. Verse 17 in John, chapter 3. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Man, how, ma- how many of us get that wrong? And how many like, people that are lost think that Jesus came, that a Christian's coming so that they can be condemned? Now, Jesus did not come to condemn. Christians can condemn. A lot of Christians have condemned in the past. Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to save the world. And he, he did come to divide. The Bible's clear. He, that's what he said. He came to bring a sword. Not a sword of condemnation, a sword of conviction to say, we're going, look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to leave that behind. Okay? So those that don't want to follow me, you can just keep going where you're going. But if you want to follow me, that, that life is going to go. That sin is going to go. But we get it so wrong. We think Jesus came to condemn the world, and because we're condemned, we need to come to God. <laughs> and, it, and it's true. We are already condemned, and it's going to say that. However, we think that his sole purpose was to make us feel awful about ourselves to the point that we'll be scared of hell and want to walk into heaven. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be done. That's not, the way, that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to save us. We all needed saving. We're, the Bible says, in just a second, we're going to read it. It says we're all already condemned. We're all, when we're lost, when we're dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses, we're all already on the road to hell. We needed saving. We're on the road to be complete separation from God. And we needed somebody to save us, and that's Jesus. He came not to condemn us to hell, but to save us from hell. Save us from being separated from God forever. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. There it is. What do you love? What do you love? This is the judgment. Light came. Light came down to his creation. But the people loved the darkness, not the light. Why? Because their works were evil. That's why they loved the darkness, not the light. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like, oh yeah, obviously they loved (laughs) evil because they were in the darkness. The second reason what we love is important is because love is what attaches us. The things of this world will fade, and if we attach our lives and hearts to the things that fade, then eventually we'll fade with them. Love is what attaches us. I I wanted to say connects us, 
But that's not as strong as a word, of a word as attach. Because it does, it attaches us. To the point to where sometimes we feel like we just cannot be broken of it. Because we love things. We're called to love. We were made to love. We were created to love. Which is why we, ha- we feel so strongly about things. We're supposed to. But if it's the wrong thing, then we're attached to a sinking ship. That's never a good thing. <laughs> we don't want to be there. That's why what you love is important. Verse 20, it says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So it's not saying if you love or if you do wicked things, you will never come to the light. That's not it. He's saying unless those evil things are exposed, the darkness within is exposed, then they'll come to the light by necessity. (laughs) When the darkness is exposed, it is exposed to the light and the light and the darkness is gone. And the greater the light, the less the darkness. Why is it so hard to love the light? If this is the truth and this is such a big deal, then why isn't everybody doing it? I'll give you the answer right now. You ready? Because we love ourselves more than we love God. We love ourselves more than we love God. We love our pleasures. We love our sin. We love it. (laughs) And it's shown through our preservation of pleasure over our obedience to God. We'd rather preserve the things that make us feel good than be in relationship with God. In a relationship with God that's truly going to expose our deepest, darkest parts. I'm going to call Jake out for a second. Not in a bad way. Jake has been so stinking open and honest and vulnerable the past few weeks, just about his life, about everything going on in his life. And uh, he keeps saying to me, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I'm sorry, I'm talking so much. I'm sorry, I'm saying it. And uh, yesterday we sort of talked about it a little bit, but that's what God wants. He wants our hearts to be just poured out like wine, like poured out like oil in front of him. He wants that. He desires our hearts to be completely poured out before him. So the rambling's not a bad thing. It's a godly thing. It's what God's doing. It's because the Holy Spirit's working on the inside of you. It's pushing out all this other stuff. And in place of that, God is residing. The Holy Spirit is working. And when his spirit works on the inside of us, it starts to rip off the band-aids. It starts to open the buckets. It starts to pour out all the trash. And at the very bottom, you're going to find the thing that is the root of all of it, and I guarantee you it's going to be yourself. (laughs) You are the problem from the beginning, but God's come to bring, make you into a new person. Yeah, it does. It's the best feeling in the entire world for God to come and make you into who he wants you to be and, and make your dark things into light. However, Satan has deceived us into thinking that our pleasures are greater. 
He's absolutely got a wool over our eyes. He's got whatever the terms are. I'm so not good with idioms and things like that. He's got the wool over our eyes in light of pleasure over obedience, pleasure over the spirit, pleasure over the godly things. See, Satan has made the the godly things look foolish to to the world. We look cheesy. (laughs) We look cliche because we say things all the time like Jesus loves you. What would Jesus do? These things that we talk about that are true and that are deep. We look that way to the world sometimes, but it's because we hold on to something that's true. And the world just wants something different. They want their pleasures. But we can't give up in bringing the truth to the world. We can't give up in that. God tells us to not give up in doing good. The Bible tells us to do that. So whoever does what's true comes to the light. Truth is the light we step into. Therefore, in order to love the light, we have to love truth, which means we have to walk in truth. Walking in truth means there's no secret sins within us that haven't been exposed and dealt with. Now, you, can't, it's, you cannot be responsible for the things you don't know about. Okay? That's why we're dead in our sins. We're ignorant. We don't know until God makes us aware. Once we're aware, we're responsible. Okay? And as you walk this Christian life, as we all walk this life with God, he continually does that. He makes us aware of the things that are, that are within us. The Spirit convicts us, and he goes deeper and deeper, and you, you're like, oh, that has to be the last thing. He's like, well, there's also this thing on the, on the shelf over there. <laughs> like, maybe we should go look at that. It's like, well, that's been there a long time. You know, it might be sticky and ooey and gooey. Like, I don't know if we should do that. Let's just stay away from that one. That one doesn't really cause a whole lot of problems. It's not, it's not that big of a deal, you know. But God's like, well, you know, I think we really should go look at that. And then you do. And then you're like, oh, wait, there's something behind that. Oh, there's something else on the shelf? Hang on a second. <laughs> and then you just keep going deeper and deeper. And it will continually do that until you're finally changed into perfection on that final day where we're with Jesus and God in eternity. And we're just worshiping him because of who he's made all of us into. And we'll be able to see his accumulated power in the lives of all of us standing there. Isn't that beautiful? To see what he's done in all of our lives. That's why our testimonies are so important. We can partake in that a little bit even now when we talk about and experience with each other the love of God in our lives and how he's changed us. And all of it is so that he can receive the glory. A changed heart is the glory of God. So God's so loved so that he can receive the glory. And, in his, and his love is so great and complex and beautiful, we all get a piece of that pie. <laughs> we all, because he loved, we all get to benefit. He's so great and so mighty that because he loved, we all get to benefit from it. So, here are the three things. Why is the object of our love important? First, love can be sinful. We don't want to walk in sin. So we have to be aware of that. Second, love attaches us. It gets harder and harder to be detached from the things we love when they're wrong. Third, love speaks. Love speaks. 
The things you love show the world what's important to love. Shows your family what's important to love. Shows your kids what's important to love. Love speaks. The things you're passionate about, the things you can't live without, it speaks. The things you've devoted your life to, the things you're obedient to, the things that consume your time and your mind, it speaks. So what you love and how you love tells others what's most important to you. So those are the three things that we should be thinking about in terms of love. So what do you love? That's why it's important to know what we love, what we truly love. So I challenge you, hold love higher in your life to a much higher standard to love. But don't hold people to a standard that is unrealistic for your love. I'm talking about materially. You can't love football games more than you love people. (laughs) Ouch. That was for myself. You can't love video games more than you love God. These are all things you can do. I'm not saying you can't do them. I'm saying you can't love them more than God. I don't even know if we should say we love them, (laughs) to be honest. I don't love sporting events. I like them a lot. I don't love video games. I like them. I don't love books. I like them. I do love people. There's certain people I like, others that I love. God's working on that. should love everybody. But in all of it, we should love God. All of it. All of it stems from there. So, this morning, Stan, I am going to do, Silas, if your love has been other things than God, if you've never experienced that love that I just talked about, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you've never experienced that love, I invite you this morning to experience it today. Hopefully, right now, for those of you that are dead in your sin, that are lost, you've seen a light. And, and that you know there is a light. Like, I'm here to tell you there is a light. At the end of the tunnel, there's a light. I promise you. And it's real and it's true. No matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody says, God is true. He's real. He exists. 